Ecclesiastes chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 18, I'm sorry, 12 through 18 this morning. Welcome all the family and friends who are here to watch uh, family members get baptized as well. And uh, before we jump in, I love this time of year. This has nothing to do with our church, really, or uh, the message, so if you're new, just take that into consideration. But like doing announcements and stuff, sometimes you get distracted and you can see it. Like last week, college football started and all of a sudden all these guys show up with these orange shirts on, you know, and, uh, and then today, like I, I'm literally thinking about banning hats, like, you know, and it's just because of one guy and it's just like, it's this bright purple hat that just screams Minnesota Vikings. Which, whatever, you know, I'm, I'm from Michigan, and I don't know if you guys know this, everybody's from the South, but like if you're from Michigan, for the first time, if you're a Lions fan, for the first time, that I mean, I'm 40-some years old, that I can remember, and all my friends can remember, I think the whole state of Michigan woke up Friday morning feeling like a winner. And that's kind of a big deal, and I'm, I'm speaking of Falcons fans, you guys know what it's like to feel like losers, Totally get it. You get it, but you experience some winning, and we're back into that season. We got football going on. We got stuff going on, but like, don't wear that hat. Well, at least take it off during announcements. So distracted. I was trying. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. And then I obviously I lack self control, and I said something. So please forgive me. <laughs> All right. Anyways, let's do this. So Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Here is God's word. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that is done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. And what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart... I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had a great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would soften our hearts, that we would receive your word, that you would take these words of yours, sow them into our hearts, that they would bear a lot of fruit, or that you would enable us to know you, that you would, by your Spirit's power, Empower us that we might apply your word to our lives. That, Lord, as we were singing earlier, we would find satisfaction in Christ. 
And we wouldn't chase the things of this world, hoping that they would bring us the things that we can only find in Christ. And so, Lord, accomplish your good purposes through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you know this or not. I'm going to assume that most of you do. Some of you might be too young to know this, but we, we live in a broken world where a lot of things just don't always make sense. I say that if you're younger. I'm not, I'm not throwing any shade at you in any ways. As somebody who was once younger, there, and having learned a lot as I've grown older, I've, I've learned this, and I, I feel like I learn this more and more every day is that we just live in a world that's broken. We live in a world that that doesn't always make sense. And this is what Solomon has been trying to teach us in this first chapter. At the beginning of chapter 1, he wrote this. We learned about this last week. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Life appears... To be meaningless and empty a lot of the time. It's, it's like a mere breath is what he's teaching us. That we breathe out of our lungs and it just sort of exists out there. And then it just goes away. It's so temporary. Vanishing. We spend a lot of our lives working, doing various things. And he would just say, for what? What are we toiling for? What are we giving our lives to if, if it's all just vanity, if it's all just temporary, if it's all just this bubble that bursts, is here and it's sort of just gone. And so he's still moving through that same argument and he's helping us sort of continuing to explore this. What's, what's the point? What's the point of living out our lives here under the sun. What's the point of living? What's the meaning and purpose for the life that you're called to live? What's the point to working really hard on your marriages? Why are you doing that? What is it that gets you up in the morning to go to work? Why, why do you go to work? If you're in school, why do you go to school? I know a lot of you probably say because my parents make me. And I hear that. I know that argument. But, but, but you have to know the why. Why do you still do it? Why do you listen to your mom and dad? Why do you then go to school? Why do you do your homework? Why are you in the college that you're at? Or why are you in the job that you're doing at this moment? Or why are you disciplining your bodies to stay in shape? What's the point behind all of this if it's all just vanity of vanities? What's the point of anything in this world if it's not going to truly satisfy us? That's kind of what Solomon is, is after. That's what he's trying to help us to think about. All of these things. All of these things apart from God. All of these things that we live at and do and pursue under the heavens, under the sun, if they're all vanity of vanities, then, then why do it? So what is it? What's your answer? What got you out of bed today and put you here? 
What's your purpose for doing anything in this life? See, we all, we all have an answer. We do. Because you got up. You, you, you answered that in some way. You did get up and it brought you here. Every day you do get up and you, you do something. And so you're answering it in, in some way. But, but what is it? What, what's that purpose for you? In this next section of Ecclesiastes, we're going to learn, we're going to follow Solomon as he's on his journey to answer that question for us as he's been exploring it for himself, as he's trying to find the, the meaning of life, so to speak, under the sun. And so what we're going to learn this morning from this text is this. Since we live in a broken world that doesn't make sense, is filled with sorrow, and foolishness, we must fear God, trust in Jesus, and follow Him. We're going to explore this truth by taking a look at two points this morning, and they're really just two simple points from this text, but I think they, they help us kind of see what Solomon is, is getting after in this text, and they, and they help us as well to really just kind of look at the world around us. As he's making observations of what he's seen, and, and by the grace of God, he's, he's written these things down, and, and we have it. He helps us to look at this world and, and sort of put it in its rightful place. As we seek to try to glorify God with the lives that he's called us to live. And so in our first point, what we learn is that wisdom cannot change reality. Wisdom cannot change reality. And so verse 12 He writes the following, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. And so what Solomon's doing is he's he's still sort of identifying himself for us. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. So he's the son of David, who also was the king of Israel in Jerusalem before him. He's the king over Israel. Most likely, what he's doing is he's just kind of letting us know who he is. This is important. He's also kind of letting us know that that he's lived a long life. He's been king. He's king over Israel in Jerusalem. He he knows a few things. He's, He's seen some things in this world. And we learn other things about Solomon as well. From other books in the Bible. In 1 Kings, we learn that, that when he was king or about to become king, the Lord asked him, what, what would you like from me, so to speak? I'm going to give you anything you want. You can ask for anything. Now, that would be pretty sweet, wouldn't it be? If God was to come to you and say, hey, I'm going to give you whatever it is you want, what would you ask him for? Write it down. Tell somebody about it later today. Make that a point of conversation. What would you ask for? It's kind of fun to think about, right? So what did he ask for? 1 Kings 3, verse 9, he says, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? That's a wise request, don't you think? I'm going to give you whatever it is you want. What is it that you want? I want wisdom. You've called me to this task of governing your people, leading your people. I want wisdom. I want knowledge and understanding so that I might care for 
and lead your people in a way that honors and glorifies you. Now listen to this response. This pleased God, as you can imagine. And he said this to Solomon. This is verse 11. Because you've asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. All this to say Solomon was a wise and discerning man. He was a wise and discerning king because God gave him this wisdom, this knowledge, this discernment so that he might lead God's people. Now, this didn't mean that Solomon all of a sudden just had this massive data dump, kind of like you would, you would download files into, onto a, a disk or a, whatever that might be for you. What, what God did is, is God gave him a mind to understand. He gave him a, an ability to see things and to look at these things and to work through these things and be curious about these things so that he might figure out how all of these things work. God gave him wisdom. I think wise people are, are curious people. And Solomon was a curious person. That was a gift from God. So he, he liked to look at things. He liked to explore life and figure out, how does this work? Why does it work this way? And so he tried to add things up and, and figure these things out so that he might be faithful to lead God's people. And so God created him with this desire or gave him this desire to kind of look at the world like this. And so we're getting his wisdom here in this book. We're getting it because he's lived a long life. He's reigned and ruled over Israel. He's seen them some things. And so we have this book as a gift given to us. It's, it's sort of his testimony of how he grew in wisdom and understanding about the life he lived so that we might learn from it. And we're going to see how he made a lot of mistakes. And we're also going to see that some of these mistakes were intentionally made because he was in pursuit of trying to figure out what is the point of all of this? Where do you actually find joy and satisfaction in the life that we've been called to live? And so he intentionally chooses to go down paths that the Lord says don't go down because he was intentionally trying to find joy in this world. And so we have it as a testimony so that we might learn from him. We might learn from his mistakes. Kind of like parenting, right? Dads and moms seek to protect their kids from sin and harm by sharing with them their own failures, by protecting them from making the same mistakes that they made when they were that age. Anybody in here ever do that as a mom or dad? Try to protect your kid from 
making a bad decision and the reason you know it's a bad decision is because you made that bad decision not just once, but you made that bad decision a number of times. And so your hope as a parent is, hey, I'm going to tell you about this. I'm going I'm to help you not make this decision so that you don't have to suffer the harm that I suffer. And so as parents, we want that. We want to help our kids. We want our kids to learn from our own mistakes. And so in some ways, what we have here is we have a wise Solomon who's lived a long life, who's explored what's the meaning of life? What's the purpose? Where do I really find joy and happiness as as I get up every day? And we actually get a lot of his mistakes. If you read through this book, it it can be discouraging. Vanity of vanities. It's all meaningless. It's all so temporary. It's all just a bubble. So let us learn from him. What does he teach us today? Verse 13, he said, And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What he's saying here is he was on the hunt. He was on the hunt to to learn all that he could about life lived out here on earth. He, He wanted to understand it all. He was intrigued by it. And he wanted to know how it all worked. And what really makes us happy? And and can that happiness be sustained here on earth under the sun? And so he he gave himself to to searching out this wisdom. Now, this type of wisdom that he's using here, it's not a divine wisdom. Don't don't think necessarily proverbs here. Just just sort of think all those talking heads out there that you can just get online and you can see the people who are like instructors or motivational speakers. Think about their kind of wisdom. It, some of it's really good. Some of it's it's true. And so he's 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 in pursuit of that. Just just what does the world have to say about this world? What what do people say? What what's working for them and is it really working? And so it's more of a a worldly wisdom. So he wasn't searching out life's meaning from God's point of view here, but he was looking at it strictly from a, a world's perspective. That's what's meant sort of by all that is done under heaven, apart from God. And this is what he's learned. This is the end of verse 13, end of 14. He says, it's an unhappy business. I gave myself to this, and guess what? It's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What Solomon found as he searched hard for this wisdom, for this answer to what's the meaning of life? What's going to bring us joy He didn't find anything worthwhile. He didn't find really anything good, anything sustaining, anything that really satisfies. He declared it all just to be vanity. It's all just meaningless. It's all temporary. It's all a mere breath. It's there for a second and then it just vanishes. It's basically, he said, it's basically like trying to capture the wind. Now, we fly kites, right? We enjoy that. You can 
fly a kite and the, and the wind will keep it up there and all that kind of stuff. We, we, we capture the wind to a degree as we use it to create power. But, but what he's getting at, and he's trying to help us see is try as hard as you would like. And you're not ultimately going to capture it. You're not going to contain it. And if you don't believe me, here's, here's what I recommend you do today after we're done here. Okay, put, put your running clothes on. Put your running shoes on and go chase the wind. That sounds kind of bad, actually, if you said it like I think about saying to one of my kids, go chase the wind. Kind of like, get out of here, you know, but, but just try it. Go, and you, you get the idea here. What he's saying is, I've pursued all these things, and it was like chasing the wind. It was striving after it. Can you catch it? If you went out there right now and you started running after the wind, and I said, okay, you got to catch it, would you ever arrive? No, what, what would happen? You're going to get really tired. You're going to run for a long period of time. And, and just when you think you've got it cornered, and you might corner it somewhere out there by a building, what's going to happen? The wind's going to take off again. And you're going to begin running and running and running. And, and you're going to be doing this over and over again. That's what he's saying. I've pursued all of this. And it's like striving after the wind. It's exhausting. It's frustrating. It never fully satisfies. Just when you think you got it, just when you think something in this world satisfies, guess what happens? It's gone. The bubble bursts. This is what life under the sun is like. A lot of chasing, but no catching. This is what it's like to live life apart from God and his wisdom in this world. And if you're young, I know you, if you're anything like me, you, you might not believe me. Because you're probably kind of satisfied a little bit with what you have. But just talk to anybody. Anybody over the age of 40. Sorry for you under 40. You could talk to them as well because they'll have experience as well. But, but just ask them. Say, is it true? Is, it, is living life apart from God is it really like chasing the wind? Are you trying to tell me there's nothing in this world that you've been fully satisfied with? Just, just ask them those questions. And then Solomon gives us a proverb to conclude his thought, which he says, what is crooked cannot be made straight. And what is lacking cannot be counted. You see, there, there's some things, this is his conclusion, there are just some things in this world that can't be fixed. Some things in this world that we can't fix, we can't straighten out. Philip Ryken said the following, he said, some things in life are crooked. Not in the sense that they involve criminal or immoral activity, but in the sense that they are so bent out of shape that they resist all our efforts to straighten them out again. There are many things in life that we wish we could straighten out, but cannot any more than we can mend a crumpled fender. Just think about all the conflict that exists in this world and in your own life. Just think about those conflicts. Think about all the efforts that you've made personally to resolve these conflicts. I'm sure some, by the grace of God, have been resolved, but have they been fully resolved? I'm going to bet that you might have some in your life that, 
that maybe there's been forgiveness granted and received, but you might have a relationship or two in your life that as you look at it, you say, that's a little bent. It's still just a little crooked. Still not quite the way I, I wished it would be. There's so many crooked things in this life. And it's not just relationships. Your work's crooked. Not fully satisfying. I think about my communications. One of the things that came to my, my mind was my communication with my wife and kids, it's just crooked. It, it's not fully straight. I, I want it to be straight so bad, but it's not. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's clear, but I know it's crooked because we're always trying to work on it. I, I don't know. Listen, I, I've been married 24 years. We, we have good communication. This is not like a confession of that sort. I'm just saying we spend a lot of our times reviewing our communication, trying to grow in our communication. And then God gave us kids. And when we think we get, arrive to a place where we have good communication with them, then they grow into another season. And I realize, wait a minute, our communication just changed and it's not good anymore. And so it's always evolving and it's never straight. It's just always a little bent out of shape and we're always trying to fix it and, and bring it back. See, there's just some things in this world that are crooked. I would say a lot of things are just crooked. And not only are they crooked, but he tells us that sometimes things just don't add up. See, what's lacking cannot actually be counted. This is frustrating truth about the world we live in. Things will not always make sense. We, we want four, but what he's saying here is there's just some things in this world where all you have is one and two. But you're trying to make four. So you, you can't count an extra there because what he's saying is it's not there. We want two plus two to equal four, but all we have is one plus two. And it doesn't equal four. You can't make one into that two because it's just when you can't count what you don't have. And that's what he's just saying. I've seen this world. I've seen what life is like under the sun. And, and sometimes it just doesn't add up and you can't even count it because it's not there. But I know you want it to be there. But it's just not there. That's what life is like under the sun. It's crooked. And it doesn't always add up. And here's the interesting thing about this. It's like this because we have a God who created it to be this way. Look again at verse 13. He says, it's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Who's in charge of all this? God is. Who created this world? God did. And this world that we're living in today, it's not perfect. He created it to be perfect, but Adam and Eve, they sort of ruined it, and sin entered the world, and curse entered the world. And, 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 and throughout all of that, God never stopped being sovereign. He's always been at work in all things. And, and Solomon just recognized, he said, it's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. 
Derek Kidner says it like this. It is God who has prescribed the frustrations we find in life. That's just so good, isn't it? You know why it's so good? As I've thought through this and I think about this, what, what God is helping this world to see and helping us to understand when things are crooked and we can never make them straight and we try to get to four but all we have is three and we're trying to count these things and recognizing that God is at work in all of this is he's revealing something to us through this unhappy business. And you know what he's revealing? When you don't get what you want, when you don't find that full satisfaction in your marriage or in your kids or in your car or in your dinner, when you find yourself unsatisfied with the things of this world, do you know what God's getting at? He's giving you that unhappy business for a reason. Because you're not God. He's created this world for us to enjoy this world, but not to worship this world. See, we're not in control. I know we want to be in control. We want to make things make sense. We want to think we're the type of people who can actually take something that's crooked and make it straight. And then there's God up in heaven, creator of all things. It's just said, no, that, that's just always going to be crooked. You know why? Because I created you not to live here forever. Your hope is not in this life. Your hope is not to live here forever. Your hope is not to fix everything. Because some things are just unfixable. And you're not to find ultimate satisfaction in these things. That's why I love it when people get married. And they're so happy. And they're just thinking, for the rest of my life, I'm going to love you. And it's going to be madly passionate. And as I'm officiating these things, I'm just thinking, you're going to have kids. <laughs> and they're going to steal some of that passion. And the conflicts are coming. And you're going to have to work through them. And you might actually go to bed one night just so frustrated and angry at one another. And it might not be one night. It might be a lot of nights. Because there's that line in those vows, until death do us part. I know they believe it when they're standing there in that moment. And I just think to myself, that's going to be tested. And it's going to be tested more than you want it to be tested. And if you make an idol out of your marriage, you will be so unsatisfied. Because you're not marrying somebody who's perfect. You're actually marrying a sinner. Who's going to sin against you more than anybody else in this world once you say, I do. And then you're going to realize as seasons change that you thought you knew how to do things together and you realize, I don't even know who this person is right now. You go through different versions of being married to the same person, but they just change and you change and you got to figure it all out. And if you're finding hope in that alone, you will be so unsatisfied. So unsatisfied. That's what Solomon's helping us see here. Is it's an unhappy business. You will never figure this world out apart from the grace of God. Leads us to our second point. Wisdom can increase sorrow. Everything under the sun may be vanity, but this didn't stop Solomon from continuing to search for meaning. Verse 16, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom. 
surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. He's not lying. He really did get a lot of wisdom. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. So he's kind of just saying, this is me. This is what, what I've pursued. And then he goes on and he says, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. Again, Solomon, wisest man who had ever lived. And from his own confession, he tells us he searched long and hard for the meaning of life. And he experienced most of it that it had to offer. He would have been one of those guys that kind of just knew a lot about everything. And had read most of what anybody has ever probably written. And was able to kind of take all their thoughts and organize it neatly in his brain. And so he applied himself to knowing wisdom. And then he tells us, I also decided to pursue madness and folly. This seems like an intentional decision on his part to give himself over to sort of the foolish things of this world. And that's exactly what he did. He spent a good part of his life, and we know this from other parts of Scripture, comparing and contrasting wisdom and folly. And not just from a book, but from his own personal experience. We know from 1 Kings that he fully gave himself to the world and its ways as he pursued the things God instructed him not to pursue. There really wasn't anything that he held back from himself. This is the bewildering part about Solomon, is because we like to think of him, the wisest man ever. But yet he gave himself to madness and folly. This is how much he gave himself to madness and folly. Most of you probably know this already, but one wife wasn't good enough for him. Not even two, three, or four. He had 700. And then 300 concubines. It's hard to get our our minds around. So when he says, I pursued wisdom wholeheartedly, and then I intentionally tried and pursued madness and folly, he did. He knows what it's like to pursue the things of the Lord, and he knows what it's like to pursue the things God says not to pursue. Because he did both, seemingly, with all of his heart. And he still comes to the same conclusion. Vanity of vanities. He gives this, verse 18. Let me back up. At the end of 17, here's his conclusion. He says, I perceived this also is but striving after the wind. We want to learn from this here. So if you're one of those people who are thinking, should I follow the Lord or, or should I pursue the things of this world? Solomon would say, listen, I did them both. I'm going to tell you about the first one, following the Lord. But right now I'm going to tell you, I pursued the things of this world. I tried to find joy in there. And guess what that was like? Striving after wind. It's exhausting. There's a bit of a warning here. If you want to pursue the things of the world, if you think divorcing your, your wife is, is going to bring you great joy, if you think pursuing these things and disobedience to all the stuff that the Lord has called you to. And you think, you think that's going to bring me the greatest joy. What he'd say is, no, what you're doing is you're going to go for a long run. And it's going to be real exhausting. And it will never satisfy. You're just not going to stop because you'll never find what you're actually looking for in the things of this world. See, none of those things ultimately brought him joy. And then he closes with this proverb. He says, For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. For all the wisdom 
and knowledge he had gained through the world, it didn't produce anything but frustration and sorrow. Psalm 16, verse 4. Write that down somewhere if you're taking notes. It says this. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. There's just some wisdom there. Solomon says it's all vanity. Vanity of vanities. You want to run after a false God because you think it's going to bring you joy. You want to scroll the internet and look at whatever you're looking at because you think it's going to make you happy. You want to drink too much because you think it's going to make you happy. You want to invest into a false God. What he says is vanity of vanities. And what the psalmist says, you run after that, guess what? Your sorrows just multiply. Nothing good. The world apart from God is crooked and depressing. It's one big race to see who can catch the wind. Who can run fast enough? Who can reach out their hands and actually grab something that was never actually created to be grabbed? When we live life apart from God, this is what we're doing. Chasing the wind. Investing our hopes and dreams into something that never satisfies. That never will bring ultimate joy. We're trying to find joy in a place that doesn't exist. Remember, why Solomon wrote this book to teach us where we actually do find what we've been created for. And what he wants us to see here is that this meaning and this purpose will never be found in the things of this world, but they are always found in God. When we fear him, when we acknowledge that he's at work in all things and we bend our knee to him and we pick up a cross and follow Jesus. We find our hope in Christ. And the good news is he's the one who can make all things new. See, our hearts long for those new things, right? None of us really love living in a broken world. Only the Lord can make those things new. Only the Lord can bring us the joy that we're looking for. It doesn't mean we won't suffer. Because what we're ultimately hoping for is that life that we get to live in heaven with him. This world will always be broken. There will always be crooked things. We'll always be missing something that we can't count. But in Christ, we can find joy in those things. Knowing that these things really are, they are temporary, but what he's called us to and what he's saved us for is eternal. So we live out our life in a crooked world, finding great joy, not in these things as much as we find in God who has loved us and sent his son Jesus to die for us and is at work in us and fills us with his spirit, empowering us to live the lives he's called us to live. And this is good news. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would continue to pour out your spirit upon us. Lord, that you would enable us, Lord, as we walk out our lives by faith in this world, that we would honor you and that we'd find joy right where you have us. Or that we would rejoice in suffering, Lord. We would rejoice in the good things, Lord. We'd just find Great joy in knowing that you are our God who's at work in all things.
And that you've given us a great Savior in Christ who is renewing things. And is preparing us to spend eternity with one another in heaven. Where everything will be perfect. Where there won't be any crooked things. And so Lord, we long for that. And as we wait for that, Lord, we count it a joy. To honor you with the lives you've given to us. And so Lord, may we fear you. May we honor you. May we seek to glorify you. As we seek to walk in your good commandments. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, here's what we're going to do. We are going to move outside. And so we've got to pick up our kids and all that kind of stuff. So we're going to have that baptismal service.